team. Good to see you here this evening. And uh, we're in the last of this two-month series that we've been together looking at principles of the spirit-filled life. And um, we'll get into that in a little bit more detail. It's going to be uh, next Sunday. Uh, I'll be teaching here at the five o'clock. And we'll be looking at the accounts of the nativity, the story of the birth of Christ. And the way that we're going to do it next Sunday at the five o'clock is we're going to see the different emphases in the Gospels. So Matthew, Luke, and John, what do they record and how do they present the birth of Christ? And we'll find some interesting emphases that are in Luke that aren't in Matthew. I'm getting a lot of feedback up here. Uh, Interesting aspects that Matthew brings out that Luke doesn't, and also how the Gospel of John talks about uh, the coming of Jesus and the Word being made flesh, and how he looks at it from a totally different context. So Mark hardly talks about it at all. So next week at the five o'clock, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a look to see what the authors of the different Gospels emphasize, and in doing that, we'll see some of the most important parts of that story. And then after that, we have quite a few fun things taking place at the five o'clock. You've already heard, got Freddie Rodriguez, who's going to be with us for our concert the following Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, we have five o'clock and seven o'clock carol service. And then uh, we'll soon be into the new year. Well, today we're going to be speaking about how to be led by the Spirit of God in our lives, how to be led by the Spirit of God. I mean, we've done two months on principles of walking in the Spirit, and all these are up on the internet, so if you've missed any or you want to revisit some of the things that we've spoken about, you can easily do that going on to our homepage and then to um, our media section. And we've looked at lots of things, really. We've looked at the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works on earth, and we looked at three key aspects of that. We said that the Holy Spirit comes... In, in a work of purity, purifies the believers. He comes in a work of presence. He comes with his presence. And he comes in power, works of power. We looked at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then we also looked at how the Holy Spirit works through the fruit of the Spirit. And that God works from the inside out. And that growing in grace and becoming more like Jesus is not about laws and regulations or church rules or being like a Pharisee, but it's allowing the Holy Spirit to do a work deep in our hearts. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. If you look at it from from start to finish, Jesus is talking about God working in your heart. And uh, what Jesus criticized is he criticizes outward acts that don't have any change in the inside. So, you know, the Pharisees are going around saying, we don't commit adultery. And Jesus said, I'm seeing your heart. The Pharisees going around saying, we don't murder. He's saying, I'm seeing murder in your heart. Pharisees going around saying, look at my public praying, how powerful I am. Look at my public giving, how generous I am. And Jesus is saying, hey, uh, if, if, what matters is when you pray, go into a place where nobody sees because only your father will see because it's in your heart. Do you, don't let your left hand see what your right hand's doing. Your father will see it. It's a question of the heart. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's about how to live as a spirit-filled Christian. Then we looked at the fruit of the Holy Spirit and saw that this is referred to again and again in the New Testament. We had, of course, Galatians 5, where the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. We spent some time in the last two weeks going through some of those those key words. We also saw that in James chapter 3, when he speaks about wisdom coming from above, is first pure, peaceable, um, open-minded, that that was James speaking about fruit of the Spirit. And also in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where we have that whole passage on love, that is another passage describing the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is so important for us because it's God's main agenda in our lives, about 
us cultivating by the power of the Holy Spirit these characteristics of the fruit. So we spent some time looking at that. What I want to do in, in conclusion today is talk a little bit about how we actually hear the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. Now, I'm glad I've spoken on the fruit of the Holy Spirit and mentioned things like the Sermon on the Mount because, you see, in order to hear the Holy Spirit, we have to make sure that we have the right filtering situation. Because unfortunately, in charismatic Christianity, uh, it's amazing how people can make, can, can make God say anything that they want. And it just becomes like, oh, God's just told me. Has he? Has he really? Is it, does it fit the principles of the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, peace, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, self-control. Because if it doesn't fit the principles of the fruit of the Spirit, he's not spoken to you at all. Has what God's told you, is it wisdom from above? Is it peaceable? Is it pure? Is it open-minded? Is it generous? If it isn't, then it's not from God. Now, this fruit of the Spirit as a filtering to hearing what God is saying is very important. Remember, the people like the Galatians and those that James were writing to, they didn't have a Bible, a pocket Bible with them wherever they could go. They, they didn't have the full New Testament. The New Testament was being written. And James was probably the first of the New Testament letters to be written, and Galatians wasn't far behind. So when Paul was speaking to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3 and said, you know, uh, you've begun in the Spirit, don't be matured in the flesh, and talking about the Spirit. How would these Galatians know that what they were hearing was from the Holy Spirit? Okay, they'd be teach, they'd have been taught from the Old Testament, but they didn't have a New Testament. They'd only just read, read uh, got Galatians. They didn't have Romans. They didn't have Philippians. They didn't have Thessalonians. Uh, they didn't have these letters available to them. Thank God we've got the New Testament. It's far easier for us than them. So how did these new believers know what the Holy Spirit was saying to them? Well, it was the principles of the Spirit. If what they heard was the principle of love, the principle of peace, the principle of joy, the principle of kindness, and the principle of generosity, if, if these were the principles that the Holy Spirit valued most, then he will speak in line with those principles. Are you hearing what, what I'm saying? So the fruit of the Spirit is... A, it got, gee, the Holy Spirit will never ask you to do anything that will break the principles of love or break the principles of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, and that's very important because over the years I've seen many people say what God has told them to do. And, they, and what God has told them to do has broken the principles of fellowship, love. I, I've, I've, I've known people say, God's told me to leave this church, or God's told me to leave that church. And he hasn't at all. It's just they've fallen out with some people. And because they're not mature enough to act in the fruit of the Spirit and love and forgiveness and, and mend that situation, guess what? God doesn't want you to mend your relationships in this church. God doesn't want you to forgive. God doesn't want you to be generous-hearted. God doesn't want you to be, to be a, 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 a peacemaker. No, God wants you to leave all those nasty people and go to another church that he'll tell you to leave in about six months' time. Because <laughs> maybe the issue's with you. And Can you see what I mean? So there, there's an example. God's told me to leave. Of course, God may speak to us of moving on, but if God ever spoke to us to move on from a specific church, there would be good reasons. It would be reasons of love and peace. It would, you, you, you'd be going with the blessing of the church. You know, you know what I'm saying? There would, there, there would be reasons for doing it. And I just use that as an example because many times and we're asking God for guidance in uh, relationships or guidance in our career, or, or, or these types of guidances, and we're asking God, show me what to do, we have to realize that when we're asking, be aware of the flesh, as well as the fruit, because we have desires that can be fleshly and desires that come from God. And so sometimes we can ask God for something that, and, and think that God wants us to have it, but our motivations are wrong. Remember, James says, you ask, but you don't get well, you don't ask and you don't get, but then when you ask and you don't get, it's because your motivations are wrong. And so how would you know if your motivations were wrong in asking God? 
Just ask yourself, is this the fruit of the Spirit? Or is this self-gain? Uh, is this jealousy? Or, or any, of the, any of the flesh? And, and God, God can help us. So the fruit of the Spirit, I'll just say that right up. That is a filtering system so that we can hear God. And the maturer you become as a Christian in the fruit of the Spirit, and those characteristics becoming more and more who you really are and coming from your heart into your life, the clearer you'll be able to hear God. But the more fleshly a Christian becomes, the less that they will be able to hear God because fleshly Christians have a terrible habit of thinking their own things and attributing them to God. Which makes sense when flesh is arrogance and proud and selfishness. So if somebody is arrogant, proud, selfish, Pharisee, then what they're going to do is they're going to be so self-righteous that they will actually think that God is thinking the same thoughts that they are thinking. A very dangerous place to be. Seen people over the years, maybe you have Christians, and they become imprisoned. And, and they think God thinks just like them. And that's their first mistake. And so what they think is what God's telling them. And, 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 and they are in a very dangerous place. We have to always say to ourselves, his ways are not our ways. We always have to approach God with humility, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit, from wisdom from above. Humility, Lord, show me. Lord, I might be wrong here. Lord, I want your will for my life. It's not about me imposing upon you. One of the big dangers is that we project an image of, we, we project a picture of God made in our own image. It's a very dangerous thing to do. I mean, we know that idols, what are idols? Idols are made in the image of things. And so one of the dangerous things is, is that we can project an image of God. And guess what? God is just like us. This is dangerous. Dangerous for our health and for our spiritual health and our growth. Because if you think God is just like you, then you're in a dangerous place. You're projecting an image of God and he's not. Often I find this when you read the scriptures and teach some truths that, that people find difficult to take to begin with. And the reason they find it difficult, it was like, well, well, how could God think like that? Or how could God do that? I would never do that. And the assumption is that if God does something or thinks something that you don't think or you wouldn't do, then God must be wrong. Oh, no, God can't be wrong. Oh, well, then God doesn't think like that. And so I've found that some of the most powerful passages of scriptures have been totally opposite to the way that I've been thinking. Can God, does God have an opportunity in our lives to change our minds, to change our way of thinking? Do we give him opportunities? Or are we fixed, blinkered? Are we prepared to change our minds about God? And are we prepared to change our minds about ourselves? If we are, we're in a good place to hear God. So speaking about the fruit of the Spirit as a filtering process to look at the characteristics of love and God and to know that he will never work against his, his own values and those things that he loves the most. That's a filtering thing. And then, of course, we have the scriptures. I'm saying this before we get into hearing the Holy Spirit for a daily thing because these are important. Then, of course, we, we, we have the scriptures. The Galatians didn't have the scriptures, but they had the first principles. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you think God is telling you to do something that doesn't fit the principle of loving your neighbor, guess what? He's not. The golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. If you're about to do unto somebody else what you wouldn't have them do to you, guess what? God's not saying. God's not telling you to do that. You hear what I'm saying? But the scriptures as well, if we want to hear the Holy Spirit specifically for specific circumstances, specific situations, specific times that we're in, then we need to know our Bibles. We need to read our Bibles. Reading our Bibles, it's not meant to be some religious sort of like, you know, uh, I don't know, like we do it for religious sake. Jehovah's Witnesses read their Bibles every day and they don't get anything from it. Because when you read the Bible... You've got to read it with the Holy Spirit. Because Scripture, without the Holy Spirit, is dead. It's dead. 
But when the Holy Spirit comes and it make, and highlights it and touches our lives, what happens? Change begins to take place. Knowledge, the renewal of the mind, very, very important thing. The Word of God, Hebrews 4, is living and active. It's like a sharper than a two-edged sword, or it's like a scalpel that can come in. And what does it do? Well, if you read on, it reveals the intentions of the heart. How wonderful to have Scripture, that if we go with the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, I'm humble, I'm coming to the Word, teach me. Um, I want your word to read me as much as I want to read the word. I'm, I'm not coming with my blinkers and I'm going to read um, whatever I want to. You know, you can find whatever you want to in the Bible. Do you know that? And people do. People go, oh, they find whatever they want. And they cut across principles of Bible study, but they find what, 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 whatever they want. But we don't want eisegesis. Eisegesis is a Greek word, and eisegesis is reading into the text. So you come, and again, you project your own views or doctrinal stances that you've already got, and you look at it, and you, and you read in. You know what I'm talking about? So, for example, you meet, you meet somebody who uh, venerates Mary as the Queen of Heaven, you know, a very, someone who's very strongly in that area, say a Roman Catholic. And, and then they, they'll go to different passages, like when Jesus turned water into wine, and they will read into that what they already believe, that somehow Mary had a role in interceding on behalf of the people for her. So it's not there at all. In fact, Jesus tells her, what have I got to do with you, woman? In other words, he puts her in his place. So, and, and we can all do that. You come with your, with your Pentecostal background, your charismatic background, and you've already been told what you believe, and you come and you read it in. It's called eisegesis. And everybody from every tradition uh, can be guilty of that. What we want is exegesis. We want to find out what the Word really says in its context alongside other scriptures so that we can begin to hear and to be trained in scriptures that they will become profitable to us. You see, the word of God is meant to be a mirror, isn't it? So when we're hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying about us, when we go to read the word or listening to preaching that's Bible-based, then you look in and you begin to see your image. And you begin, God begins to speak to you through the word. And so you can begin to make changes. Also, reading the Word of God and studying the Word of God and coming to things like the teaching service, what that does is it trains your mind for biblical thinking. It allows you to think biblically. And biblical thinking becomes your natural thinking. It's like when you spend time with somebody and you get to know them, because you've heard them speak, a good friend or a family member or a close loved one, you know what they're thinking, don't you? Why? Because you've heard them talk so much, you know them so well. In fact, when something happens, you could say, well, I could say, I know what my wife would think right now. I know what my wife would say. You might say, I know what my friend would say. I know what my mother would say. I know what... Why? Because you've, you've heard their voice. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Well, here is his perfect voice. So the more we listen to this, the more we will be attuned to the voice of God. So that when God comes into a specific situation and speaks in specific ways, we'll already know his voice and that will help us. We've got the filtering system of the fruit of the Spirit. He will never ask us to go contrary against his most prized principles and characteristics. But he will also never tell us to go contrary to the revealed word of Scripture. So I say these things because when I say some of the other things, if we don't prize what I've just said about filtering systems, then you'll just be saying, well, God told me to do this, God told me to do that, and it'll, it'll just become some sort of charismatic, crazy, weirdo thing that could even end up being a little bit occultic because we're just hearing voices. So I wanted to put this down straight away. But having said that, Having spoken about being strong in Scripture, having spoken about having the filtering system of the fruit of the Spirit, now what we need to do is we need to say, well, you know, this isn't just about Bible teaching, about do this and don't do that. It's not just about cultivating 
certain attributes like kindness or self-control or, um, or, or, or love. Those things are important. But actually, here we are. Here we are today. It's Advent Sunday, the first Sunday in Advent, and we've got situations that we are facing. We've got, we're, we are in a specific time, a specific place, with specific situations that we're facing. And we're saying, Lord, what do we do? Some of you might be saying, what am I going to do in my career? Some of you might be saying, what's my next step? Some of you might be asking God about relationships. Somebody might be asking God about many, many things. Things might be happening in your life, situations or tests or trials or circumstances. And you're facing these and you know your scriptures and you're learning about the fruit of the Spirit. But God, haven't you got anything to say to me right now for the situation that I'm in today? What about next year, Lord? Have you got nothing to say about what's going to happen next year? Are you interested in my career development? Are you interested in what college, school, or university I'm going to go to? Uh, There's so many different directions I could go right now, Lord. Which one? Do you have a preference? I'm in a fork on a road. Do I go left or do I go right? I don't know. Holy Spirit, have you got any interest in here? Can you guide me? Because the New Testament says in Romans chapter 8 that the sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God. And Galatians, having spoken about in chapter 5, having given us the nine fruit of the Spirit, straight after that, straight after the fruit of the Spirit, it says that those that are led by the Holy Spirit are not under the law. In other words, there's a way of living that with the fruit of the Spirit emphasized in our lives as God does a work in our heart, then the Holy Spirit is going to lead us. Also in Galatians 5, it uses the phrase, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And so, in other words, the Holy Spirit is wanting to lead us, wanting to guide us. And don't we see this in both Old and New Testament, that the Holy Spirit is guiding his people. Telling them when to go, telling them when to stay, giving them dreams, giving them visions, giving them directions, easing them this way, gently putting them that way, telling them that a storm's going to come, but Paul, don't worry, because everybody's going to survive. Uh, uh, Giving them a vision, a Macedonian picture, come and help us. God is constantly, by his Holy Spirit, wanting to lead us and guide us He is our, as we know and we've taught, our senior partner. He is the comforter of John 14, 16, and the word is paraclete, called alongside to help. Paraclete is still, or parakletos is still a word used in law today. And the paraclete was the defender, or the lawyer who would defend the person in the dock. And so we get this picture of the Holy Spirit wanting to lead us, of being led by the Holy Spirit, of hearing from the Holy Spirit. And that's why we need wisdom from above, so that we can know what to do in different situations and different circumstances. So how does the Holy Spirit speak to us? In what ways does he lead us? Well, he leads us in many, many different ways. In fact, once we get our Bible, or growing in Bible knowledge and growing in the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit can speak in such amazing and diverse ways that what we need to do is recognize what the Holy Spirit is in and when the Holy Spirit is speaking. Uh, do you remember Elijah the prophet? He was in a right mess. Uh, He had just brought fire down from heaven and reached the pinnacle of his ministry. And then all of a sudden the thing unraveled. Somebody told him that Jezebel was going to kill him by the end of the day. And he just went to pieces. He had a nervous breakdown. He fled. He he just wanted to die. It it was all over. And God was tender to him at that time and and fed him by the ravens. And then God said, now, now you're strong. I need you to... Get to a place where I can speak to you. And it was up on a mountain place, far away from anybody else. And it was in a cave on a mountain, Mount Horeb. 
And he went up in that cave. You know, sometimes to hear God, we've got to go into our caves. What do I mean by that? What, go up on a... No, I mean, we've got to get, get alone with God. Get alone with God. And in that place, there was time for him to calm his emotions. His mind was racing at 100 miles an hour. It's very difficult to hear God when your mind is racing at 100 miles an hour with anxieties and worries and fears. You've got to get yourself into a calm place. Difficult also to hear God when everybody else is yabbering around, giving their opinion, and they're not even prayerful opinions, and they're yabbering, and, and you've got work and this and that, and everything's busy, but you need to hear from God. So he got alone with God. But then notice, a lot of things took place around him. Uh, there was great supernatural manifestations. It wasn't just that there was a wind blowing or a storm that happened to blow. No, God created these thunderous moments, these lightnings, these huge, big supernatural events in the weather system. But every time, it's amazing, it just says, but God was not in the thunder. God was not in the wind. And then finally, it all goes quiet, still small voice, and he discerned that God was in it. What I want to say to you in this, the, this, the latter part of teaching today, it's learning to discern what the Holy Spirit is in and what he is saying to you. And God knows where you are in your Christian growth, so you don't have to be a professor of theology. In fact, if you are, that might be a disadvantage. You don't have to be a, you know, a world-class Bible scholar like an R.T. Kendall before you can hear God. On the contrary, I've known people a few days old in, in the faith, a few days old, hardly even begun to, to hear their Bible, but they're hearing God accurately as they share it. So that's God speaking to you. Okay? So God, God is not waiting for us to pass a certain type of test before he speaks to us. But of course, as we grow in the graces of God and in the word, we're going to grow in our hearing of God. I tell you what, if, if, if you can't hear God better in five years' time than you can today, something's wrong, isn't it? We're meant to grow in our knowledge of the Lord. But at the same time, if you're a new Christian, then, then God will be speaking to you. And, and the reason that we're a body of Christ is that as a new Christian, if you think God is speaking to you, go to somebody who's mature in the faith and talk to them about it. Because it's not just about you hearing from God, is it? You have people around you who you can share these things with and, and, and we can have wisdom together. And so... How does God speak? Well, he can speak in many different ways, as we will see. The key is discerning, is this God? Is God in this, in what I'm hearing? Is God in this, in what I'm reading? Is God in this, in what I am seeing? Well, the first thing I want to say is that God will often speak to us specifically from the word of God. And you say, well, you've already said that. No, I haven't already said that. I've said that when we go to the scriptures, that we will learn about God, we'll learn God's ways, and we can put that into application into our lives. But it's very different when God takes a portion of scripture and he fits it exactly for you and exactly for your personal situations. You see, we, when we teach about this, we use two words to describe the word of God. We use the word logos, and we use the word rhema. Those two words are Greek words, and the New Testament was written in Greek. And the word logos, that denotes the word of God. In other words, what I'm saying is, when you talk about logos, you know, in John's Gospel, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh. And that word for word in the Greek, word, in the beginning the word became flesh, is logos. In the beginning the Logos became flesh. When we speak about Genesis right through to Revelation and everything that Scripture contains, we call that the Word of God or the Logos, L-O-G-O-S, the Logos of God. What do we mean by that? We mean that all that God has given us in his inerrant, infallible Word, everything is found here in the Scriptures and that's Logos and we can... Go to that and study that and read that. But there's another word, a Greek word for word, that's used in the New Testament. And that word is rhema. 
Rhema. R-H-E-M-A, isn't it? Or is it R-E-H-M-A? R... Sorry. R-H. I have dyslexia. I get it all mixed up. I do actually have slight dyslexia. So R-H-E-M-A. Rhema. Now, this rhema word is slightly different. So, for example, when you go to Ephesians chapter 6, and it speaks about the whole armour of God, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, you know, shoes of the gospel... The only offensive weapon that it mentions in that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the yep, Word of God, or in the Greek, the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema of God. Not logos, but rhema of God. And that's very important because the sword that they're speaking about, there was two types of swords that the... Um, uh, Romans would use. They would use the one-edged sword, which is a very big sort of sword, a two-handed sword that you would just, you know, carve into the enemy ranks. But also, the sword that you would normally know in a Roman's outfit was uh, the sword of the Spirit, was the sword that they would have on their waist. And it was only about this, if you ever see them in museums, they're only about that. So they would go against the barbarians who would have these massive big battle axes and swords. But the main uh, Roman's army would have this short sword. And their way of battling was to go in with their shield. And what they would do as they entered the line of the enemy is they would bash aside the person to their left and then stab the person on their right who the other person had also bashed aside. And this weapon was a precision weapon. A precision weapon. It wasn't big, clumsy, two-edged sword where you're just hacking away. This was a precision instrument. And so when we speak about the word of God being the sword of the spirit, that type of Roman sword, we're saying this is where God takes something in scripture and highlights it just for you and just for the circumstances that you're in. You ever know those yellow highlighter pens? And you're going through a document, or some people use them for their Bibles, and you've got that, and you go, oh, that is such a great scripture. I've just been reading this passage. That scripture is excellent. That really speaks to me right now. And you highlight it with a yellow pen. Well, sometimes God will take a scripture and will highlight it for your particular circumstance. Now, I have, and I would encourage you to get one of these, I bought myself a little black notebook. And this little black notebook is where I write down what I believe that God is speaking to me about. And so, as well as other things that I'll come to, in that black book, there are certain scriptures that God has highlighted me over, over time that have become rhema words into my life. I have a baptism. that my, When I got baptized, I was baptized baptisms here today, and when I was baptised in Kensington Temple in um, autumn 1990, um, what they used to do is they used to think of scriptures as they would pray the prayer team and put the scriptures in on the, uh, on the baptism things. And so I had the scripture from Isaiah talking about um, uh, uh, young men, you know, falling and, and failing, uh, but those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength like an eagle. You know the scripture? Well, that, I thought, oh, that's interesting. That scripture has been a rhema word for my life. There's been times in my life when I have fainted, when I have felt like I lack power. But then there's been times when I've come back and those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. So that was a scripture. When Isaiah wrote it, he wasn't thinking of me. He was thinking of Israel. But God brought that word into my life for a purpose. And other times in my life, there's been times when a scripture has come right out of the Bible and spoken directly to me and the situation that I was in. It wasn't that Matthew, Mark or Paul thought, oh, this that I'm writing is specifically for Bruce in 19 you know, 99 and what he's going through in his life. It's not like that. But these words are just words that God drops. And you know, as you know, as you know, that God is speaking to you. 
So in that black book that I've got, I've got scriptures over the years. In fact, my whole, God gave me a whole ministry path from a passage in Isaiah. I won't tell you what passage it is because it's personal. A whole passage. And I saw the beginning of my ministry. I saw the middle of my ministry. I saw the purpose of my ministry. All in a passage. That's in my book. And that's, what, that's, that's, that's a rhema word. Isaiah didn't sit down and go, oh, this bit is going to be Bruce's ministry development. You hear what I'm saying? It wasn't in his mind, but the Holy Spirit highlighted it with his pen. And you said, well, how did you know? How did you discern it was the Holy Spirit? I knew. It had a dramatic impact on the inside of me. I'd read that passage many times, and the particular situation that I was in, I read the passage, and suddenly I thought, whoa. This is amazing. This is speaking to me. This is like where I've been, where I'm going, where I want to be. Wow, this is, this is amazing. And I'd read that passage many times, but there was something on it. It was highlighted. And I realized, God, you've just spoken to me a rhema word. You've taken logos and made it rhema. I call these words sticky words. Sticky words. It's when something from Scripture leaps out and strikes you and sticks to you. Usually when it sticks to you, it's because God is speaking something into your life. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying you can't read something and go, wow. I mean, I can be preparing for a sermon and go, oh, yeah, that, that, that's, oh, I've just had an insight. I'm not talking about having an insight or a revelation. I'm talking about God speaking directly to you, giving you a scripture you can stand on, keep praying, believe in God. You can be going through a difficult time and God can give you a scripture and it sticks to you. It's alive. It's there and you write it down and you go, I just really believe that God's given me this scripture during this period of time. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It's a sticky word. But you know, not just scripture can be used like that. Because in one sense, God is using the scripture in a very secondary manner, isn't he? Because these sticky words that I'm talking about from scripture, you know, they're out of context. Like I said, Isaiah did not write my minute, but God took that and applied it to me. I know it's out of its logos context, but I know God is speaking to me through it. Now, if God can do that with the scriptures, well, then God can do that with anything. The key is to discern what God is, to see if there's something that sticks to you, that rings a bell in your heart or your mind, that suddenly just, it's not about finding, you know, you can get a book of promises. I've done this. You can get special books with all the promises of the Bible. They're quite good, actually. And then you go to the situation that you're in, health or or finance, you go to the situation and you find scripture and go, oh, these are the scriptures to help you with finances. Well, that's fine, but they're not sticky words. Because you can go to appropriate passages for appropriate situations, fine. But it doesn't mean they're a sticky word. A sticky word is when God makes it shine to you. God makes it stick to you. And there's something about it. And you say, God, God is doing something. God's in it for me. Now, if God can do that with scriptures, he can do that with many other things and does. You just have to be aware and open to see what God is doing and how he is leading you. And so there's been times, it doesn't happen all the time, God only does it when he needs, needs to do it. You know, there, there's times, for example, when somebody will pray over you and their prayer just fits exactly what you're going through and they, and they didn't even know it. Some of you are nodding, you know what that's like. Someone prays for you and they say, you know, I don't know why I'm praying, but I just feel that God wants to say this to you. It's prophecy, isn't it? And so often God will speak to us prophetically. You have to filter it, of course. But sometimes when that word comes prophetically, it, it's just the right word in season. Man does not live on bread alone by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's continuous. It means God's now word. God's now word. And so people can pray for you and give you a now word. Prophecy can come and give you a now word. You know, you can sit during a sermon and get your now word. You ever sat in a sermon and you enjoyed the sermon? It was logos, you learnt stuff, but something was said that struck you in the heart. And whatever else was said, you went away. And that one phrase, that one sentence or that one point was just activated inside you. You know what I'm saying? That's the thing that you need to... God was taking the preacher's word 
and taking one aspect of that that stuck. It was a sticky word. The rest of the sermon you forgot within two weeks. But that word, you didn't forget. You cherished it because God spoke to you. It's amazing, actually, what could happen. It's a, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. that With anointing preaching, it's amazing how afterwards you can have people from many different backgrounds going through many different situations all saying, God spoke to me today. That's a miracle of God, isn't it? Because you had one subject, but one aspect was heard by a person in a different way than another aspect was heard by a different God was breaking the bread of preaching and making and personalizing it um, uh, uh, for people. Also, in, in godly advice and godly conversation, sometimes you can hear the word of God, the Holy Spirit. When, you, when you're speaking to someone, in a godly person, someone who, who prays and, and doesn't have an agenda in their lives to speaking to yours, sometimes you can just be asking them advice, and in that conversation, bang, something happens. Hits the nail on the head. You know, when you're counselling, when I've counselled, or when I've sat down to give someone counsel for a situation or a circumstance that they're in, what I'm hoping and praying for is that God is going to give us a key. Because we can all give general advice, and those of us that are trained can give better general advice than those of us that aren't trained. General advice is good. But when I'm speaking to someone, I want God to just unlock something, just to give us that word of wisdom, just to give us that insight. And when he does it, it's amazing. Sometimes you surprise yourself, the advice that you've given. God just opens your mind to what's going on. You just have an insight, and the person goes away and goes, now I see it. And you think, yeah, me too, but I didn't see it at the beginning. God was at work in the godly counsel of others. So you've got godly counsel, and then all of a sudden, somebody says something during that godly counsel, and all of a sudden, it unlocks a situation. It gives you courage or strength. You, you, you now see a little bit clearer. That's the Holy Spirit guiding and speaking to you. Another way that the Holy Spirit uh, uh, speaks, speaks to us is during prayer. You know, speaking in tongues is a very important part of Christian life. So important that Paul said to the Corinthian church that were abusing it, because they weren't even preaching, they were just speaking in tongues from the platform. And so he had to correct that and said, hey, do you know what? When you're preaching or teaching, five words of benefit in English is better than a thousand in tongues, because you can't stand, understand a word I'm saying unless I interpret but then he said to all these people that are abusing the gift of tongues, he says, by the way, I pray in tongues more than you all. And praying in tongues is very important because praying in tongues not only strengthens your, you spiritually on the inside, it builds you up and edifies you, it also sensitizes you both to the word of God and to the spirit of God. So there'll be many times when I don't know what to pray or not sure what prayer line to do that I'll speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit leads me. Having spoken in other tongues, I'll then move out and begin to speak. I'll pray about a spe specific situation and I'll be hoping that, that something I said in tongues is going to come out in English and lead me and, and, and off, often it does. Or I'll be praying about a situation that I don't know and as I'm praying and as I'm praying, suddenly I'll get a prayer line. I'm always looking for a prayer line. You know, when I'm praying for something, a situation or a person, I'm always hoping, don't always get it, but I'll, I'll keep praying, hoping that God's going to give me a prayer line. Sometimes it's a scripture, sometimes it's just a few words. Sometimes it's just, you know, and if I don't get a prayer line, I pray, your, your will be done, your kingdom come. But then I try and, but when God gives you a prayer line, it's, it's the Holy Spirit leading you in prayer, leading you and allowing you to change circumstances through, through your prayers. God can speak through anybody and anything. God can speak through a donkey. Do you remember that? With God can speak through a pagan king or emperor. Spoke through Cyrus. God can speak through everything and anybody. And so we need to be aware of that. There's many times that God has spoken to me through the strangest of, 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 of situations. There's times. There was one situation very recently when I was thinking about a certain project and situation and I was wanting to quicken it, I was wanting to make things happen and I was thinking I need to get on this and I, meet, and, and I want to really want to, to, to make this happen and happen fast. And I, this was concerning me because it wasn't happening fast enough. 
And as I was driving my car and praying about this and thinking about this, as I went under a bridge, I just flicked my eye up to the right for a second and saw a lorry. And on that lorry was the word chronos. And the word chronos in the Greek means a passage of time. And then I just knew God was saying, no hurry, give it a passage of time. You say, how did you know that? Was it just luck that you saw Chronos? No, I was praying about the situation at the time. The chances of me flicking my eye up for that moment and, and as, that, as that lorry was moving, for, for the chances of that lorry to be there at that moment while I'm praying, and also it stuck to me. I thought, timing. I thought, right, I don't need to push it here. There's timing in this. Those are the times when I've seen things. Sometimes God can speak to you through music. Many times a verse from a non-Christian song or something at the right time has hit me. Just, I, can, I remember going into um, uh, uh, to get my morning coffee in, um, what's it called? Costa Coffee. And I'm thinking about something and this, that and the other. And I'm, and, and I'm praying and thinking and I walk in. And then just, just as I notice the music, it's um, take that singing, need a little bit of patience. And it was exactly what I needed to hear. And it wasn't just, oh, wasn't that, oh, that was lucky. It wasn't luck at all. It, not only I discerned that God was in it. This doesn't happen to me every day, by the way. So you don't start looking, you know, it's not something you're looking for, you know, trying to read into it. I've met people like that where they walk out, speak to me, Lord. And anything that they see. No, th- th- this, this, this was me being open, but it wasn't me, you know, tr- trying to find, I've done that, you know, we've all done this. Lord, I'm in a real difficulty. Shut up and come out of him. You know, we've all done this, you know, stick a pin, Lord, show me. Not talking about that or trying, like, to find something. No, this is just being aware that God might speak to you. I remember once, I, I often tell this story, but it, it just signal, just show, it shows exactly how it worked. I remember once I was at a prayer meeting here on a Wednesday evening, and um, I was on the way home, and I, I, was, I was not happy. I was not happy with life. I was not happy... And I was concerned because I was thinking about my future and I didn't want to go there. And, and one of the things that people were talking about was, you know, one day, many years, you might be senior minister of Kensington Temple. And these were serious people telling me this. And I didn't like that because I thought there's no way I could ever be that. I don't want to be that. You know, I hope Colin lives forever. You know what I'm saying? I don't want, it's the last thing I want in my life. And I started to moan and groan about it and said, you know, I didn't come here to be senior minister. I don't want, I can't do it. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm not able. I don't have the gifts. I won't, the people won't be behind me. And I'm moaning about it, you know. And then I'm, I'm driving, moaning all the way, and complaining to the Lord. And then I get to Shepherd's Bush Roundabout. Now, in the background, I've got the football on. And um, it's, it's now near the end of the match. And one of the teams does a last-minute substitution. And so the substitution come on, and I'm grumbling and groaning, and it's annoyed, and I can't do it, and da-da-da-da-da. And then the substitute, in the last moments of time, scores a goal. And as it scores the goal, the commentator shouts out, Cometh the hour, cometh the man. It hit me. And I knew that. Why are you complaining? Are you the senior minister? No. Well, then what's the problem? And if you ever do, in the future, become the senior minister, if you do, you'll be the right man at the right time. You're not the right man now, because you're not the senior minister. And if years go by, or months go by, and something like that should ever happen, guess what? If you walk with the Lord as you can, God will fit you for it. So just like that substitute, cometh the hour, cometh the man, why are you worrying about being something that you're not? When there can be, and that was years ago. That was a number of years ago. So I was like, why was I worrying about that? God gave me a word from the mouth of somebody. So Phil, I just want you to be aware. Now, you know it's God because... It speaks to you, but also there's something on it. It's not you just looking for every. Don't go and watch your TV tonight and start channel thinking. Say, I'm waiting for my word. Because it won't happen, or you'll find something that doesn't come from God. This comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not something engineered by us. But we're open to how God can speak to us. And these things I put in a booklet, in in my book. I've got things, it's like a history. I've got words God gave to me that 
were for a time years ago that came to pass, words that were for a season, words for a day, words for a year, words that speak well into the future, words about my family. None of those words I made happen. Might have sought God, but I never sought words. You know what I'm saying? All these things God gave. Sometimes I've had seasons in my life where the Holy Spirit has given me direction and words. It's a season where I'm getting, I'm writing more in that book and, and every Other times, I've got months and months, four, five, six, seven months, nothing's going down in that book. Why? Because nothing needs to be said. Why? Because I've got enough to go on with. God can give you, a, God gave me one word, one word. The word was renaissance. And that was before a period of six months when I was on medicine for six months, when my whole inner life had caved in and, and I was out, ill, down, didn't, didn't, you know. But before that happened, God gave me a word he, and it dropped into my spirit. I just got this word, renaissance. I thought, what? Renaissance. I thought, what's that about? Renaissance. This French word means rebirth. It was also a movement of, of, of bringing the arts and science and things and bringing the old into the new and rebirth. I thought, well, that means... And it didn't mean anything to me because I, I didn't know what was about to happen. It didn't mean anything to me, but I knew there was something on it. So I thought, well, I'll just keep that and say nothing. And then when I hit this six-month period, of, which was the hardest part in my life, like I said, I was on medication for six months and didn't know if I'd come back didn't know if I wanted to come back. And, uh, and during that time, the only thing I had was that word, Renaissance. Because I wasn't reading my Bible. I was too down, too ill to read it. I wasn't going to church. I was out. I was, I was out, ill. And then this word just kept on. That was, I lived off that word. It was all I had. I just hang on to it. I thought, well, maybe God did say rebirth. And then... There has been a rebirth in my life. One word. One word. That was, that was quite a few years ago. One word. And that rebirth, everything that God said. One word. So God's got words for us, hasn't he? You have, to, you have to be open and aware for them. And come in many forms. They're sticky words. Make sure when you get a word from God that you write it down. Because when I'm discouraged or feeling where am I going, I get my little book. And I open it. And I see the rhema words that have been over my life, that are there, and the words that are long-term, short-term, and even if I don't have a word right now for what I'm in, I've got enough, because God speaks today. God bless you.